Hello, everybody. I'm sitting at home, like many of you are, um, in kind of a quarantine because of the coronavirus pandemic. We're entering, I guess, probably uh, about the fourth week of, uh, of being required to stay at home and have social distancing. And uh, if you're watching the news or you're watching everything online, um, we see a lot of a lot of bad news, a lot of things that are going uh, poorly, and. Uh, if there's anything we need to look at is good news, good news. Now, we're approaching Good Friday, and while some of us don't think about the death of someone um, as good news, the death of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Good Friday really is good news. And we, you know, we all love to hear good news. We like to hear good news. You passed the test. You got an A or you got the job. You sold your home at full price or they accepted your offer. All your bills are, are paid. You're, you're debt free. Or you go to the doctor after you had a, uh, had a test and he gives you a clean bill of health. Or maybe you had the, the coronavirus uh, test to see if you had it and it came back negative. And of course, the negative in that case is positive, which means it's good news. We all love to hear good news. And the best news of all time is found in the Bible. And the writers of this good news call it the gospel. And it comes from the Greek word meaning good news. One of the persons that has written a lot about the gospel is Paul. Paul uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament, and one of the books he wrote was 1 Corinthians. Um, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he asked, answered a lot of difficult questions, difficult, dealt with a lot of issues. He taught the church how to celebrate diversity and maintain unity. And he finishes 1 Corinthians with good news. It's the good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today, as we're approaching Good Friday... And whether it's Friday afternoon or evening or whenever you're listening to this message, I want to talk about the good news about Good Friday. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. If you have your Bible, I'll give you time to, to open up to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of this chapter um, as we look at good news. Paul writes, verse 1, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and by which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed.
we're going to talk about the crucifixion because that's the celebration that we have in on Good Friday, remembering the crucifixion. And let's start with the, the importance of the crucifixion, how important it was. First of all, we find in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. It's not popular today to talk about anybody's death. And we see counts on a daily basis, especially in the middle of this pandemic, about the death of someone. And we usually like to avoid talking about death or even thinking about death. And it was no different in the first century. Especially scandalous was to talk about the death of crucifixion. John Stott writes, Crucifixion seems to have been invented by barbarians on the edge of the known world and taken over for them by both the Greeks and Romans. It is probably the most cruel method of execution ever practiced, for it deliberately delayed death until maximum torture had been inflicted. The victim could suffer for days before dying. The Romans adopted crucifixion for criminals convicted of murder, rebellion, or armed robbery, provided they were also slaves, foreigners, or other non-persons. The Jews also regarded crucifixion with horror. They made no distinction between the cross and the tree, between hanging and crucifixion. In fact, Deuteronomy 21.33 says, anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Because of this distaste and revulsion of the crucifixion, many in the first century could not imagine worshiping a dead man who had suffered such a humiliating and painful death, even though his followers claimed Jesus had been resurrected. People were repulsed by this news then, as many are repulsed by it today. How can the death of someone be called good news? Paul calls this death good news of first importance. Christ died for our sins. Why? Why? It's always a question. Why was it necessary? And why would Jesus do such a thing? And what makes this so important that God planned this in advance According to the scriptures, it says, and Christ came to endure it. What does Jesus' death mean to us? What does it mean to you personally? What does it mean to me personally? What did it accomplish? And why is this important? Why in, on earth can this be called good news? First of all, number one, we find that Jesus died for us. It's personal. Jesus, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus died for us. It's personal. Jesus' death was not just some abstract demonstration of love. It wasn't just an example for all mankind to emulate. Jesus' death was not an accidental, unintentional event. Jesus' death was intentional and it was pur purposeful. It was for us, for you and me. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Further in John 10, 17 and 18, it says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. That's verses 17 and 18 in John 10. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep, that's us, and he chose to lay down his life. It's personal. It's for our sake. It wasn't for him. It was for us. 
It's personal. Number two, Jesus died to bring us to God. Jesus died to bring us to God. It's reconciliation, reconciliation. 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The whole purpose was to bring us to God. The righteous Jesus, the unrighteous us, to bring us to God. We ask, what is that all about? Well, let's say you have a disagreement or a fight with somebody and someone did something really bad to you. They betrayed you or they wronged you in some way. All of us have experienced the alienation that comes in, in, the, in human relationships. We probably first experienced this in childhood with brothers or sisters. And if our parents were on top of it, they would teach their children how to resolve conflicts, how to reconcile those relationships with their siblings. We do not and cannot resolve conflicts by just pretending it never happened. We just hope it goes away. No, we, we have to deal with the differences. We have to deal with the offense. My parents taught us, as my two older brothers and I, to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And taught us how to say, I forgive you. Yet removing the offense or removing the cause of conflict, the, the break in the relationship, we dealt with the issue, the wrong action or the offense. By dying, Jesus dealt with the issue. What was the issue? Our offense, our sins, the sins. The purpose of Jesus' death was to reconcile us to God and to restore that relationship. God is always the seeking, loving God, trying to find a way to reconcile us and reconnect us to God. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The purpose of Jesus' death was to restore us to relationship with God. He removed the problem, removes, removed the cause of the conflict by dying for our sins. And Jesus' actions brought us new life, a new start, eternal life. It brought us peace with God, that we don't have to be in conflict with God. We can now have an open relationship. It's all restored. Reconciliation. Jesus died to bring us to God. Thirdly, thirdly, Jesus died to pay for our sins. Jesus died to pay for our sins. It's payment. It's payment. Now, when we do something wrong, we need to pay for it. We, if we steal something, we have to pay it back. If we gossip and destroy a reputation, we need to make things right. If you wreck somebody's car, it needs to be replaced. Our legal system has payment built into it as well. There, if you have a lawsuit, you may file a lawsuit for monetary damages. Or if there, you commit manslaughter or murder, you go to prison or pay with our own life. Whether it's burglary or drug dealing, there's, there's payment involved. If you speed, you pay a fine. So we do the crime, we do the time. Well, God set up a payment system as well. And in the Old Testament, it was a sacrificial system of, of an animal and an altar. They would sacrifice animals and shed blood to pay for the sins of the people. 
The good news is what Jesus did recorded in the New Testament. In Hebrews 9.12, it says, He did not enter into God's presence. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. We did the crime. Jesus did the time. Jesus paid. Jesus paid the price. Hebrews 13, 11 to 12 says, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Jesus died to pay for our sin. It's payment. He paid for it. Number four, Jesus died in our place. Jesus died in our place. It's called substitution. Substitution. Jesus' death and our sins are linked together. We deserve to die. We did the wrong deeds. We committed the sins. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, death, death was not part of God's original plan for the human race. That wasn't part of his plan. Death is an alien intrusion into God's good world. Death includes physical death, which all of us will experience someday, which is separation from loved ones, family, and friends, separation from our earthly existence. It's also spiritual death, which is separation from relationship with God. We go all the way back to the beginning of humanity in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 2, 16 to 17, God said, The Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Both types of death are seen throughout the Bible as divine judgment on human disobedience or our sin. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, without blemish or defect. So Jesus died in our place, called substitution. The good news is Jesus died for us. It's personal. Jesus died to bring us to God. It's reconciliation. Jesus died to pay for our sins. It's payment. And Jesus died in our place. It's substitution. Good news that's really, really good news. The good news about Good Friday. We're going to be looking at the second part of the good news, the resurrection, on Easter Sunday. But right now, I want to look at the responses to this part of the good news. How do people respond to this part of the good news? And how will you respond as you celebrate Good Friday? First of all, the good news of, of Jesus' death, there are some negative responses. The first one is unbelief. Some people just cannot bring themselves to believe all this good news of death, resurrection, all of that. Unbelief was a response to many, to Jesus during his life. Unbelief was a response to many following his death, even the response following his resurrection. Faced with overwhelming firsthand eyewitness accounts of Jesus' divinity, many simply rejected the truth in simple unbelief. Before the last days of Jesus' life on earth, Jesus performed an incredible act of power 
he raised Lazarus from the dead after being buried for four days. Pastor Josh uh, gave a message on that last Sunday, and it was awesome, talking about the meaning of that miracle. And many believed. Others went to the religious leaders and said, we've got to do something about this Jesus. He's raising the dead. The great irony here is that the author of 1 Corinthians, the greatest apostle of the church, Paul, started as the most vehement opponent of Jesus in unbelief. Many people throughout the history have started at the beginning in unbelief. Then after examining the facts, the truth ultimately came to believe. One of the most famous skeptics in history was a man called C.S. Lewis. He examined all the evidence and came to believe. He went on to write many books, Surprised by Joy, Mere Christianity, um, Tales of Narnia. And maybe you're sitting there today with unbelief. And that's, you know, that's okay. I challenge you to look at the evidence of the death, burial, and resurrection. And maybe you can even read the journey of C.S. Lewis in his own words. Unbelief, how could this possibly have anything to do with me? The second response to the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, was self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. You know, I'm not so bad. Yes, I made mistakes, but you won't find me in jail or any kind of trouble with the law. I'm actually pretty good when compared to everyone else. Therein lies the problem, compared to everyone else. We measure ourselves against the wrong standard. Did you know that I can be the world's most incredible basketball player if I play against five-year-olds and put the basketball hoop at eight feet? You can break all the sprinting records in the world if you shorten the 100-meter dash to 50 meters. Just change the standard and you'll succeed. Lower the curve, lower the standard. But see, God's standard is perfection. The, the measure of our sin is not subjective, it's objective. Sin in any amount violates God's character. And only people absent of any sin can measure up. Now in America, we like to think we're pretty good. God in the Bible begs to differ. It's the leveling of all humanity. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. These verses are speaking of our human nature and the propensity for evil. As long as we deny the bad news, we'll never see how good the good news is. We measure ourselves against criminals, MS-13 gang members, drug addicts, prostitutes, and pimps, not against God. The reason the statement, Jesus died for our sins, means so little to so many is because many people have no concept of their own guilt and sinfulness before God. Self-righteousness. And you might be here on this Good Friday and feel the same way. Or, or you may identify with another group of people. The third negative response to the good news is something called guilt. Number three, guilt. These are the people that are so guilt-ridden, they simply cannot believe. Just I'm just too bad. God can never forgive my sins. These are those who are weighed down by guilt and feeling that somehow they have to pay for their sins. Well, you know what? We don't. Jesus paid for our sins. We cannot pay the debt. We never could. So Jesus paid for our sins. That is good 
news. Now, if anyone would have felt he was unforgivable, that would be Paul. He writes in verses 9 and 10 of this passage, he said, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Wow. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. I'm sure that Paul struggled with the same feelings you may wrestle with, an unforgivable past. That God, by his grace, forgives. The Bible doesn't say some have sinned, or doesn't say some are worse than others, or some have sinned and fall short of the glory. It says all have sinned. doesn't matter how short we fall, we all still fall short. Just view for a moment a, a large chasm, and all of us have to jump to try to reach the other side. And if you don't reach the other side of this canyon or chasm, it means falling to your death. Some jump and they only make it halfway. Others jump and they make it 90% of the way. Some almost make it to the other side, but ultimately everyone falls into the chasm and to certain death. Some of us may have done more good deeds than others. We may have jumped further than someone else. The bottom line is this. We all fall short, and we all face certain death. You may be here today wrestling with guilt. Maybe you've never felt you were forgiven or were unforgivable. None of us can measure up. Your sin, my sin, all sin, we all fall short. That's why Jesus died to bridge the chasm. So those are some of the negative responses to this good news, the unbelief or pride or guilt. But what are the positive messages? What are the positive responses to the message? The good news. Number one, receive the message. In verse one, it talks about receiving it. Received on which you have taken your stand. John 1.12 says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Receive the message. Secondly, believe the message. Believe the message. Taking your stand means to base your faith on, to stake your life on that. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved. The third positive is to confess. Confess means to agree with God. Agree that you have sins. There's a verbal profession of faith. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Confess means a profession of faith. And number four is be saved. Be saved. Submit to this. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved. Saved means to be born again. A new creation. It's God's action taken on us, on our behalf. Old things passed away. New things have come. It's good news. It's God's work, not our work. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When it comes to our eternal destiny, there is no room for passivity, no room for neutrality. No decision is a no decision. How will you respond to this good news today? Good news. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that you've given us this good news that Jesus died for our sins to bring us to God. You built that bridge so that we could have a relationship with God. You paid the price so we didn't have to. And I thank you for that good news that we celebrate here on Good Friday. And as we go into a time of communion together as, as families and friends, I pray that you would give us a new vision of what the, the blood that was shed and your body that was broken, what that means to us personally. And that as we personally appropriate those gifts in communion, that you would change us and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a few moments to get together the communion elements. If you're planning to take communion, um, I sent directions um, on the website, and I'll, I'll walk you through it right now and uh, invite you to, to join together. Um, we are the Church of Jesus Christ, and likely all over this city and this county, there are people right now listening preparing to take communion together. You may be with two other people or one other person, just home with family or a few friends, but I want to invite you to take communion together. I've given directions of preparing the elements of bread or crackers, a juice of some sort. The juice does not have to be grape juice, and the bread does not have to be unleavened without yeast. Then I want to invite you to distribute the elements to each member of the family. I'm going to read the words of institution. You can read them there on your own if you like and, and read it out of uh, the passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. And uh, if you want to, I'll read that for you right now. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you distribute the elements, you can say the words, This is the body of Christ, and this is the blood of Christ. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm look for, looking forward to joining all of you on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, as we then celebrate the resurrection. We'll talk to you soon.